Wow, that was incredible, wasn't it? Just wonderful, wonderful. It's wonderful seeing everyone here this morning. This is, this is an unusual morning for me. So Linda is on a road trip with her sisters heading out in West Texas to go visit their brother. Earlier this week, Linda asked me, what are you going to preach on this Sunday? I said, marriage. <laughs> she said, lucky you. You can say anything you want and I won't be there to raise an eyebrow. I am feeling so blessed right now. <laughs> oh, man. So marriage, we've been talking about a lot of subjects from the book of Proverbs. Uh, the last message had to do with friendship. And really, we're still talking about friendship in a way as we talk about marriage. And so we're going to focus on that subject this morning. Now, I know not everyone here is married. Some of you are single. Some of you are single again. And I understand that you might be tempted to just say, okay, this isn't for me. Or you might even be a little annoyed. Like, oh, here we go again. The Christian ideal. One man, one woman, and 2.2 children. <laughs> but of course, that's not the Christian ideal. Jesus himself was a single man in a culture that virtually required men to get married. And so we're all called on a journey that God has set before us and our journeys are going to be unique. And so it's not as if being single is somehow in a disadvantaged state, not if you're following Christ. At the same time, we're going to talk about things that even if you're single, you could relate to. And then again, you never know, you never know what the future might hold. Many of you who are not married will be married at one time. So you could think of this as pre-planning. Think of it as a general preparing for war or something like that. <laughs> Just a thought. Just a thought. Now, as we dig into this subject, uh, the fact is that Proverbs speaks to a few issues that arise in marriage, there is a whole lot more to learn. And this is true in everything that we've covered. The book of Proverbs is one slice of the truth. You could say that what Proverbs teaches about marriage is essential, but it certainly isn't comprehensive. And so I'd like to encourage you, if if you need some work on your marriage or you just want it to get better, there are other resources that you can access. And one of the best is right here at First Woodway, Reengage. Elizabeth Oates leads that wonderful ministry. We have two groups of couples right now that are going through Reengage. And, and some of them may be maybe they've hit a rocky patch. Others, they're doing great. And they just want to Keep the momentum going. And so I would say reach out to Elizabeth if you'd like to explore resources that are available, know something about reengage. All of us can improve in our marriages. 
Proverbs and certainly this sermon, which just takes a small portion of what Proverbs says, doesn't say it all. One other thing I have to say before we even get started. Proverbs is written by a father for his son, and it's written in a culture in which the roles of men and the roles of women were very well defined and quite separate. And you see that as you read the book. Everything is from the man's point of view. And so you'll hear about the wife who perhaps is contentious or nagging, and you think, oh, wow. But you won't hear anything about the husband who is insensitive and obnoxious. Now, this is true of other passages in the Bible. What we have to do when we're reading the Bible is to consider what principles are being set out. And we draw out those principles and apply them in our setting and in our culture. We want to be true to the principles, but we don't want to get bogged down on the incidentals that are not revealed. The fact is that though the father is talking to his son, you can universalize so much of what is said. Even if he's talking about a man or about a woman, both of those statements apply to both, as we'll see. So here's what I'm going to do. Several of the verses that I'm going to read, I'm just silently editing them. So maybe it says wife in the original and I'm putting spouse. That's not because I'm trying to somehow twist the meaning of scripture. It's because I don't want every time I read a verse to say, well, you know, it says the husband, it says the wife, but it really means both. That just gets annoying after a little while. So I'm just going to silently do it, okay? Now, if you read through Proverbs, what you'll find is the, the teaching on marriage tends to center on two subjects. I wish I had time to do with both, do, do, deal with both, and it, it really bothers me that I don't, but I have to choose one. One subject is infidelity. It says a lot about infidelity and how, what damage that can do to the unfaithful person, but also to their partner, to the family. The other section deals, or the, the other set of teachings deals with conflict and how we get into very, you know, negative cycles with one another. So I'm looking at that and I'm thinking, you know, these are both so important, but this is a, you know, I know you don't believe this, but this is supposed to be a 25-minute sermon. It seems long sometimes, I know, but 25 minutes. And so how much can you deal with? So I'm going to deal with the conflict because that really is the heart of so many of the problems that people face. Even infidelity, it's very interesting. Many of the studies show that infidelity most often occurs when a marriage is already on the rocks, already disintegrating, uh, often within the last year or last months or even weeks of the relationship. And so I'm not saying it isn't important. It's very, very important. And some of you, no doubt, have been affected by it in a very personal way. But I want to focus instead on conflict, especially toxic conflict. Not all conflict is toxic. In fact, some conflict is healing. I was talking to Linda's sister 
uh, just last night. And she had some surgery on her hip and she had some rotator cuff problems two or three years ago, I think. And she made the comment, I love physical therapy. And I thought, are you serious? I didn't just think it. I said, you love physical therapy. Who loves physical therapy? It's painful. She goes, oh, yeah, it's painful. But I do exactly what they say to do, and it really works. They know what they're talking about. So here is this pain of physical therapy that actually brings about healing. And in the same way, conflict can be that pain. No one likes it, but it can be the pain that can bring out issues that need to be addressed and and bring about changes that need to happen in our relationships that make them so much better and in the end, happier. So we could say, I love conflict. Well, maybe not. Maybe not. But not all conflict is bad, but so often it is. And it's easy to slip into this kind of toxic relationship that just drags you down. There's an interesting verse in that regard. Proverbs 21.9, listen to this. Better to live on a corner of the roof than share a house with a quarrelsome spouse. Yes, the original says wife, okay, okay. (laughs) This exact proverb is actually repeated later in the book. And then there are several that are quite similar. Better to live in a desert than with a quarrelsome and nagging spouse. There's another one that says that, you know, someone who's quarrelsome, you just can't stop it. It's like trying to restrain the wind or grab oil, you know, with your hands. You just can't do it. It keeps going on. Now, when you add Many passages like that with the passages we read when talking about the fool. Remember how the fool is argumentative. The fool brings about strife. And with that strife, all the damage that's associated with it. Well, you know what? In our marriages, we play the fool sometimes. The conflict that we have wears us down. It frustrates us. We hardly know what to do about it. We just want to escape it. Climb up on the roof if need be. Go out in the desert. That'd be better because the conflict is so painful. So what about that kind of toxic conflict? How can we, how can we take the, the poison out of it so that it can be more positive? That's what I want to talk about this morning. Before I get into four points that I have in that regard, I think it's interesting that, that the best research of our day comes very close to saying the things that you'll find in the book of Proverbs. There's a man named John Gottman who is, if there's an expert in this area, it's John Gottman. He's actually been called the Einstein of love. What a title, huh? The Einstein of, it's because as a young man, he was very interested in science. He's interested in mathematics. But then he had a friend who was studying psychology and he read their textbooks. And he said, this is fascinating. Ended up doing a PhD in psychology, but brought his interest in, in science and in math into his research 
in psychology. At first, after he finished his degree, he was dealing with child psychology, but he quickly moved to marriage. And he, along with another scholar, really started the whole movement of studying couples and their interaction. Before this time, it was always about the individual. The the psychologists studied individuals, but he started studying couples and how they talk with one another. Now, he had personal reasons for being interested. As a graduate student, he had a very short and unhappy marriage and got divorced. And then years later, as he's doing research, he got divorced again. He's happily married now. He partners with his wife in this marriage ministry, but he knows all about how you can get stuck in a bad situation in your marriage. And what's so interesting is that he has found that that the kind of toxic conflict that we're about to talk about more specifically is at the root of the vast majority of marriage problems. You have all different kinds of marriages. You You have couples that do everything together. You have couples that do very little together. You have couples that avoid conflict. You have couples that get right into it. You have all these different things. But he says the most important thing is how couples interact. And he knows this because years ago, he had an idea. Start observing couples as they talk about their problems. So he would video them. And then he'd go back over the video, watch it again and again and again. And he would observe what they did. When did they smile? When did they nod their head yes? Those are positive. When did they roll their eyes or snort or something or turn their body away and cross their arms? He observed all of that, the positives and the negatives. And you know what he found out? He found out that he could predict who would be divorced in seven years by what he studied. In fact, the numbers... He kept very close tab of the statistics, the numbers. The numbers are such that he can, he can watch a couple engage each other in conversation, just one session, and he can tell with 95% certainty who will be divorced in seven years. Isn't that something? Just watching them and how they talk with one another. So this is a really important issue. In case you're wondering, you can, he's got books. You can read his books. He's, he's on the Internet. You can read what he has to say. In fact, he's got some online courses and all the rest. But what he talks about is the, he, he calls it the four horses of the apocalypse. Interestingly, he's Jewish, but he's, he's turning to a reference of a New Testament book, the book of Revelation. The four horses of the apocalypse. And here you see what they are. The first one is conflict. Um, By that, he doesn't, or rather criticism, I'm sorry. He doesn't mean um, complaining. You can complain about something, and he says that can be legitimate, but the criticism goes after the person. That's a problem. The second one is contempt. It's that sarcastic dig. It's that ugly humor. It's the rolling of the eyes. It's the sneer. It's the mockery. That sort of thing destroys a relationship. In fact, of the four, he says that's the one that's most potent of all, and there's no hope for a relationship where you see that kind of contempt. And then he talks about defensiveness, which is essentially blaming the other person, he says. When you're defensive, what you're really saying is it's your fault. You're the problem. 
And then, of course, he talks about stonewalling, where you just kind of say, that's enough. In fact, it's a lot like going up on the roof and sitting on the corner. Stonewalling. You know, people are driven apart. You notice in each one of those cases, it's dealing with conflict in a non-productive way. And that's what leads people to divorce more than anything else. So let's talk about getting the, the poison out of conflict. How, how can we do that? Proverbs actually points the way on some of this. And the first thing is very, very simple. In fact, everything I say, you're going to think, well, that's pretty much common sense. Yeah, yeah, it's not rocket science. The first thing is to control your temper and watch your words. Sometimes people think that their anger is the solution. They need to let it out. They need to say how they feel. Well, you do need to talk and you do need to share your feelings, sure. But this giving vent to anger really doesn't help. Proverbs 14.1 says this, the wise person builds their house, but with their own hands, the foolish person tears it down. And isn't that the case? Don't we see that? People who think that they are actually fighting for their marriage are tearing it down with their anger, unrestrained, just venting it. What we have to do instead is show some discipline. Otherwise, as the saying goes, we cut off our nose to spite our face. That's a strange expression, isn't it? You stop and you think, now, what exact cut off your nose to spite? Well, you know what it means when you think about it. Sometimes you're so mad, you don't care. You may suffer for it. Your own marriage may be broken up, but you're going to say it. You're going to cut off your nose just to spite your face. Or you might say this, you're going to burn the house down. Never mind that it's your house too, right? That's what happens to us. We, we get controlled by this anger and we want to we set things right. And you know what? You need to hear this. That's not the constructive approach. That is the self-indulgent approach, and it does so much damage. Here's what Proverbs says we should do. Proverbs 17, 27. The one who has knowledge uses words with restraint, and whoever has understanding is even-tempered. And then 15, 1. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. It's amazing how the waters can begin to settle if we'll just tone it down, even it out, remember what we want, which is reconciliation, and don't let the feelings of the moment just dominate and, and give vent to them in ways that are sure to do damage. And so the first thing we need to do is control our temper and watch our words. And I don't know why in our society we think that's impossible to do, but it is possible and it's something that we need to do. 
Second, this goes back to what we talked about with friendship. We need to forgive and forget. I mean, what's true for friendship is true in marriage. Proverbs 17, 9, whoever would foster love covers over an offense. That's an expression for forgiveness. But whoever repeats a matter separates close friends. You can repeat a matter to a third party, but you can also repeat it to the person. That's where you keep bringing up ancient history in order to make a point. I think we've all done that with our spouses. You need a little ammunition? Well, 15 years ago, right? And so what we need to do instead is to forgive and forget. Now, as I said last time, you don't literally forget. You forget in this sense. Think about the United States and Japan. We fought on the opposite side of World War II. But if somebody talks about Japan, does anybody think, oh, yeah, the Japanese? Nobody in America thinks like that. I hope. I can't imagine it. We have been friends with Japan for a long time. So it's not like we forget that we fought on the opposite side of the war, but it's like ancient history. It's past, not interested. And that's what we have to learn to do. We have to watch our temper, watch our words, but then we need to learn to forgive and forget and throw things back to the past. Just throw them in the ocean and let them sink to the bottom there. Don't keep bringing them up. It's absolutely crucial. There's another verse that um, is Proverbs 14.9 that brings up another aspect of this, of work and reconciliation. Listen to what it says. Fools mock at making amends for sin, but goodwill is found among the upright. Fools mock at making amends for sin. The Hebrew word for repentance is teshuva. It actually literally means returning. And in, in Jewish thought, it means not just turning back to God and asking for forgiveness, but actually reforming your life so that you live as you should. But even more, it means seeking to put things right, to fix what's gone wrong, to undo the damage that you may have done, to shuva. And that's what making amends is. Now, some people, you know, they don't want to make amends. You know, I already said I was sorry. But you know, (laughs) what hurts the other person has a lasting effect. And so we need not out of this kind of guilt trying to buy forgiveness, but out of goodwill and love and desire for reconciliation, we need to do what we can to make amends to fix the situation, to reestablish trust, to set things on a new path. See, what usually happens is there's an argument and, you know, one party says, well, I, I said I was sorry. And now the other person is supposed to just let it all go like nothing's, nothing's the matter anymore. When the problem is still there. And so there needs to be forgiveness there also needs to be an effort to make amends, to put things right. Conflict will lead to good when we move in that direction. And then finally, we need to keep in step with the Holy Spirit. The, Paul often talks about the role of the Holy Spirit in the Christian's life, and he warns about how 
we can grieve the Spirit through our anger and our bitterness. Go back to Ephesians 4, and you can see what he has to say about that. But then over in Galatians, he talks about the works of the flesh, and that involves things like strife, okay? But then the works of the Spirit. Listen to this. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That looks like, that looks like a good marriage to me. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. In other words, you're a born-again believer. The Spirit of God lives within you. Quit grieving the Spirit by nursing the grudge, nursing the anger, venting it all. Stop grieving the Spirit, but ask God by His Spirit to empower you to show love, to respond in a gentle, even way, to make amends where you need to make amends, to always remember that far more important than the issue between you is the fact that you belong together. That's what's important. And I'm amazed at how the Holy Spirit does help. The Holy Spirit has helped me, Linda, and I'd be locked in some kind of conflict and, and, you know, don't let the sun go down in your wrath. Man, you know, we couldn't fix that that night, you know? And I'm just praying the next day, Lord, I need you to help me because really I don't want to say that I'm wrong on anything because, you know, I'm really not. And she's not here, so she can't raise an eyebrow. But it's always Linda's fault. Always. You know, but, but it's amazing how when you ask God to help you, the Holy Spirit comes and he guides you. Now, I'm running out of time, but I want to say this. We keep in step with the Spirit if we have the Spirit. But for some of us, that may not be the case. Jesus said that if we turn to him in faith, not only will we receive forgiveness, but we'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And to be filled with the Spirit is to be filled with a new potential to live a full and fruitful life. And that's what God desires for you, and you can have that this morning. In a moment, we're going to take some time to turn our hearts toward God, to worship. But when we do, the, these crosses out to the side, where are the crosses? Oh, there they are. They're just not lit. We have crosses out to the side. People will be there to pray for you. Maybe you need prayer for your marriage. Maybe you just need prayer for some other issue, but you may need to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You may want to be born again. As we sing, step out from where you are. There'll be someone there to pray for you. Amen. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace. Where you stand with us, Lord, you do not turn your back on us even when we struggle and struggled in terrible ways in our marriages. Lord, give us grace to love one another well, even in the midst of conflict. And Lord, may you deal with each one of us where we need to repent. And in particular, Lord, anyone who needs to turn to you and receive salvation, may they do so. May they not hold back, but may they, may they seek the prayers of God's people this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.